Hey, it's good to see you. Uh, my name's Andy, and uh, th- welcome to the series. If this is your first time with us, this is um, we're right in the middle of the series called What Makes You Happy? And if you missed the first two parts, we really hope you'll go back and watch them, and they are for free forever if you have internet and electricity at happyseries.org. Happyseries.org, you can go up there and watch those. If you're in a small group and you're discussing this material, you can download a PDF for free and you'll have some discussion questions, kind of keep this information alive, that would be great. Next week is Labor Day weekend. And um, so some of you are gonna be traveling. If you've got kids, make sure you have them in our incredible um, children's environments. But for those of you who are traveling, make sure you tune in next week and watch the next part of the uh, the series because next week we're gonna talk about money. We're gonna talk about your happy money. And um, you've heard it said money won't make you happy. None of us believe that, okay? We say that, but there's not a soul on the planet that doesn't believe that. So next week, I'm gonna tell you, actually, money definitely contributes to happiness if. And next week, I'm gonna tell you what if is. So don't, don't miss next week. And if you're traveling, make sure you're tuned in online. And if you're watching us from North Point Online today, we're so glad that you're here as well. But today, uh, we're in part three of what makes you happy. And so what I wanna do is what we did last week. I wanna ask you the question, what makes you happy? And if you remember the, the first answer, I want you to shout it out loud. But last week, we added a second answer to the question, what makes you happy? And so some of you may remember it and maybe not so much. Usually the front three rows pay the most attention. So the pressure's on. Front three rows here and in other places as well. At home, feel free to shout it out loud. It'll freak your family out, but that's okay. So just think, think, think for just a second. So all the way back to week number one, what makes you happy? Look at you go. No thing. That's right. No thing can make you happy because happy is more about a who than a what. If you're happy, it always involves a who or two, a who or two. That's right. So if you're happy, that's because there's something relationally cool going on with you. If you were very unhappy or unhappy, chances are it is a who thing because happiness has far more to do with relationships than it does things. So really, there's really no thing that can make you happy. Now, the second answer to the question, what makes you happy is a little bit trickier. What makes you happy? Sewing, look at that, it mostly from, I think everybody knew the answer. Yes, sewing, now this is kind of different, and it, no, it's an O, not the other kind of sewing. So, and here, here's why. Last week, and if you missed last week, I hope you'll go back. Last week, we looked at what Jesus said about happiness. And what he said about happiness, it is so rich, it is so deep, even if you're not a Jesus follower, even if you know, you're not even sure there was a historical Jesus, you really need to go back and watch last week's message, because Jesus unfolds happiness in ways, it's so rich, it's so layered, and I think no matter what what you believe about Jesus, you find yourself going, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. You should read the teachings of Jesus, even if you're not sure about who Jesus is. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, and we all discover this, you learn this early on and leverage it, or you learn it later on in life the hard way. Jesus taught that happiness is an outcome. Happiness is an outcome. You sow and you reap your way to happiness just as many of you have sown and reaped your way into unhappiness. But the trick and the, de- the downside of this, it means it is that happiness is not immediately accessible. You can, if you are an unhappy person, you cannot run out of here and be happy. There's no book, there's no drug, there's no thing to buy, there's no person. Happiness is an outcome of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, which means no matter how unhappy you might be, there is hope for you. And for those of you who are happy, 
happy, you got to keep sowing in the right direction because you start sowing in the wrong direction. You wake up one day and you're unhappy and you wonder what happened. And then again, we begin looking around at our immediate vicinity thinking, well, I just need a new thing or a new drug or a new car, or a new person or a new something. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. You should be smarter than that. You sow and you reap your way into happiness. It's sowing and reaping. It is not immediately accessible, but it is ultimately accessible because it is all about what you do and how you behave and cause and effect. And so in those, those verses we looked at last week, Jesus gives us how to sow your way into happiness. It was so extremely rich. Now today, I wanna rewind back to something we talked about in week one. And I gave you a little heads up that we were gonna come back to this, you may not remember. I wanna talk about specifically about the one thing that every happy person has. Every single happy person you ever meet, and if you're happy, you have this, and if you're not happy, you don't, and every happy person you meet has this. Every person that you meet that is happy has peace. They have, they are at peace. They may be rich, they may be poor, extroverted, introverted, young, old, middle class, it doesn't matter. When you meet people who are, they're just happy. And sometimes you look at them and you look at their circumstances and you don't say it out loud because it would be so rude, but you look at them and you think, how can they be so happy? Because if I live there, look like that, was related to them, had to live with her, I would not be happy. But she's happy, he's happy anyway. And and what you found, you discovered a person that has, has found peace. They have peace. If you have peace, you are happy. If you don't have peace, it doesn't matter what else you have. You just aren't happy. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about peace. Now, specifically people, people, when we talk about people who have peace, happy people are actually at peace and they're at peace with three different at three different levels. The first one we talked about, they're at peace with themselves. They're just fine with themselves. It's amazing. You meet people who don't look as good as you, don't drive as good as you, aren't as healthy as you, and they're just, they're just happy with themselves. And you work so hard and you strive and you spend forever looking in the mirror and going to the gym and you're still not happy with you. And you, you meet people, they're just, they're just happy with themselves. You think, I hate them. Oh, that makes me even more unhappy. So uh, then the other thing you discover is happy people are at peace with other people. Happy people aren't angry. Happy people aren't bitter. Happy people aren't seeking revenge. Happy people do not see themselves as a victim. And it's not because life has gone great for them. In some cases it has, but in many cases you've met happy people who have faced extraordinarily difficult circumstances, who have been mistreated, they've been fired from jobs, their husband or wife walked off and left them. And yet you have found people who have found a way to be happy with themselves and even with others and even with the people who've mistreated them because happy people are okay, happy people are at peace with the world around them. And then what you discover in many, many cases, maybe not all, but in many, many cases, when you find a truly happy person, they are at peace with God. Now, today I wanna talk a little bit about being at peace with God, and here's why this is so important. Because one of the things that Christians believe and that the New Testament teaches over and over and over in lots of different ways is simply this, that peace with God, peace with God, paves the way to peace with ourselves and peace with God equips us to make peace with others. And here's what I mean by that. When I say paves the way to peace with ourselves, if you are not at peace with yourself, chances are it's because of something in your past that you keep dragging around. You can't seem to get away from it. You turn around, it's just, it's just tied to you everywhere you go. And because you can't make peace with your past, you do not have peace with you. But when you make peace with God, God paves the way and God creates the way forward for you to find peace with yourself. And I'm not gonna talk a lot about it today, but here's the, the, you know, here's the short version. 
When you come to faith, when you come to realize that God who created you has forgiven you, you realize that you lose the right not to forgive yourself. When you come to grips with the fact that God who created you no longer holds your past against you, you find the freedom to quit holding your past against you. And you find peace with yourself. But the big idea in the New Testament is that peace with God equips us to make peace with other people because the driving ethic, the driving behavioral ethic in the New Testament is do unto others as your heavenly father through Christ has done unto you. That as Christians, we are required to forgive because we've been forgiven. And those of us who have made peace with God through Christ, we understand it's our obligation to figure out how to treat people the way our heavenly father treated us. That's why we say that peace with God equips us to make peace with other people. So this whole idea of having peace with God, it is a big, big idea. It touches the way that you view yourself and ultimately it's gonna impact the way that you treat other people. So, Peace with God, let's talk about it for just a a few minutes. Now, when I say making peace with God, the assumption is is that there's a conflict with God, right? If you're gonna make peace with somebody, obviously there's something to make peace about, there's a conflict. And whether you recognize this or not, Jesus taught, the New Testament teaches that there is a conflict and the conflict happens at two levels. There's sin and then there's your sin. There's sin and then there's your sin. The reason you have conflict with God, whether you recognize it or not, some of us are experiencing it right now. The reason we have conflict with God is because sin at the macro level we'll talk about. And then there's the specific sin. There's your specific sin. So let's talk about this word right here, sin real quick. The best way to understand sort of the general idea of sin, not your behavior, but sin in general, is to think about the nation you were born in. Just think about the nation you were born in. I was born in the United States of America. I'm an American citizen and it's not fair because I didn't get to choose what nation I was born in, but it's true. It's not fair, but it's true. It's not fair, but it's true. And this is a big idea that we'll talk about some other time. Something can be absolutely unfair and true at the same time. And sometimes when we think about God and evil and good and evil, we think, well, if it's not fair, it can't be true. But many, many things are not fair and true at the same time. And so I was born a US citizen. I had no choice in the matter, so it's really not fair. It comes with all the benefits of being a United States citizen, but it comes with all the consequences of being a United States citizen. And it's not fair because I didn't get to choose it, but it's absolutely true. I'm a citizen of the United States of America and there are consequences. One of the consequences is I can only speak one language. And most of you can only speak one language too, and which is fine until you go somewhere else and everybody else can speak two or three languages and it's just embarrassing, right? And they just kind of smile and talk about you behind your back out loud and you don't know what they're saying, right? I was in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. We stayed at this really nice hotel someone else was paying for. It was great. And I'm standing out there with the bellman, this real handsome, you know, guy, and a very European looking, maybe, I don't even think he was 30, young guy, and to me, young guy anyway. And I walked up and I said, where are you from? He said, Austria, in like perfect English, Austria. I'm like, Austria, great. And then the next, I don't even know why I asked this. I said, how many languages can you speak? He smiled. Five, five languages. I'm like, well, no wonder you're from Austria. I am from Fruitland, North Carolina, okay? I'm lucky to be able to speak English correctly and sometimes I don't, you know? A few years ago, I got invited to speak to a bunch of pastors in London. Well, that was great. So they were gonna pay my way. So I brought Sandra along. So we got sort of a half a trip to London paid for. That was fun. So while we were there, we went to, decided to go to a play and we went to see War Horse. I don't know if you remember the movie War Horse, uh, Steven Spielberg movie, I think. Yeah, Steven Spielberg. And um, so War Horse, you know, we'd seen the movie, fortunately, because we went to the play in London. 
Now, it's a, it's a story about that takes place in the first, during the First World War. So there are British actors and characters, and then there are German soldiers and German actors and characters, and French actors and characters, all part of this story. Well, in London, guess what? The English actors spoke English, the German soldiers spoke German in the play, and the French underground resistance, they all spoke in French. And everybody there but us Americans were following along. I had no idea what was going on. It's like, great. It's like three different languages and I only know one. And I think I'm the only person here who's not following the plot. And I was thinking somebody needs to hold up posters with like, you know, English so we can know what's going on. And I thought that's because I'm from the United States. I just know one, kind, one language. Now, obviously I'm proud to be an American. You're proud to be a Canadian or wherever you're from. But the point is we don't get to choose what nation we're born into. And it comes with all the consequences and the benefits. And the New Testament teaches and your experience bears witness to the fact that you were born in the nation of sin you are by birth a sinner and if you have any doubts about that just ask the people that know you the best they'll say no 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 I don't even need to see your passport okay you are definitely from the nation of sin it just comes natural to you you do everything that sinners do it just can't we are born in the nation of sin so at this macro level that goes beyond our personal behavior the New Testament teaches that we are just by nature sinners now here's how the Apostle Paul who is kind of the first century theologian who took the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of John and kind of made them all technical for you know, the linear thinking people. Here's, here's what he said about that. He said, therefore, just as sin, now this is something we don't think about, just as sin entered the world, once upon a time there was no sin in the world, that's kind of an interesting thought, just as sin entered the world, Paul, how did it get here? Through one man, like there was an original guy, and when he sinned, he introduced sin into the world. That's how it got here. I mean, we know it's here. The question is, how did it get here? And the New Testament teaches and Jewish, you know, Old Testament uh, teaches and Jewish, ancient Jewish people believe that the way sin got into the world was not that God created it, that God created mankind and mankind introduced sin into the world. And then here's something you may not believe because it's in the Bible, but your experience again, substantiates this. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Now here's something you, you, you know, or you may not use these words. Wherever there is sin, there is death. Wherever there is sin, there is death. Some of you have killed a relationship. Some of you have killed a career. Some of you are killing your bodies. Some of you are killing your relationship with your kids. Some of you are killing your relationship with your boss. Some of you are killing you know, your health. Why? Because wherever there is sin, there is death. Wherever there's sin, there automatically is death. And so the New Testament explains something that all of us experience every single day. That when sin came into the world, death was right on the heels of sin. And wherever sin shows up in your life, something dies. For some of you, it's why you cannot get along with yourself because your sin is killing and has killed your relationship with you. Your sin has killed your self-esteem. Your sin in some cases has killed, you know, your discipline. So again, wherever there's sin, there's death, death through sin. And in this way, and this explains why we're all sort of from the nation of sin, if we want to think of it in those terms, in this way, death came to all people. So the New Testament teaches that when we think about not being at peace with God, the first problem is we were born in the wrong country. Now, if you, if you grew up in church like I did, do you remember the little things people used to give away, these tracks, and they would leave them around, and the worst one looked like a $20 bill, and you'd pick it up, and it was about Jesus. It's like, oh, great, you throw that thing away, you know, and then you dig it out. I can't throw Jesus in the trash, so then you're like, 
I don't know what to do with this. So you just put it somewhere, you know, it's still sitting there today, you know, or you left it at a restaurant with a tip, you know. So anyway, in some of those tracks, one of the, the images that kind of explain the gospel look kind of like this. Maybe you've seen something like this. Seen something sort of like this? So here we are in the nation of sin and unrighteousness and God's over there in the kingdom of goodness and righteousness and everything's great and we're separated from God. And there's a gap and there's, a, there's hostility and there's a problem because God is all righteousness and you know, we're so unrighteous. And again, our behavior manifests it, but we don't, we don't act sinful because we act sinful. We act sinful because it's from our nature. We're born separated from God. And the thing is, Acting over here like you belong over there doesn't put you over there. Any more than you know, learning a foreign language means suddenly you're now from that nation. Or putting on your best South African English or your best you know, Aussie English makes you from you know, Australia or South Africa. It just doesn't work that way. Some of you have tried that, haven't you? You said, oh, I can do that. And they just looked at you like, that's just weird. You're not from here. Anyway, so, so here's the thing. As, and as you know, the reason we gather as a church, the reason we gather as a church is because Jesus came to bridge this gap. Jesus came to bridge this gap. Now, if you had one of those tracks, like in the old days, they would have like a cross laying across here. And we just thought that was, eh, can't do that. So Jesus bridged this gap and the gospel, the gospel is all about God through Christ making a way for us to leave this kingdom and this nation and to join with our heavenly father in what's called throughout the New Testament, the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, we're giving a right standing. In fact, you've heard the phrase born again. When Jesus was trying to explain all this to people in his culture, he said to Nicodemus, he said, look, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how can a man get this mother's womb? And Jesus said, that's just gross, okay? Don't... (laughs) That's what Jesus thought. Um, so, he, but Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. See, in order to be in the kingdom of God, you must be, you must be a national. You must be reborn into a new kingdom. That, you, know, you get a new passport. You get a new birth certificate. You're a new person. And so Christ made it possible for us to have a rebirth experience and to be born into the kingdom of God. Now, Paul, again, Paul's all technical and so, you know, sort of, you know, wants everybody to understand everything. So here's how he said it. But listen to this language. Maybe you've, this is from a letter he wrote to some Christians in Colossae. He said this, for he, God, has rescued us from what? God has rescued us from the dominion, the nation, the environment, the kingdom of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Paul says this graphic of God on one nation and you in another, that's exactly right. And that through Christ, God wants to rescue you from the nation and the darkness of sin and place you into the kingdom of light. Not through your behavior, but through something God has offered for free through Christ. So in Romans, he spells it out for us. And here's where we find the magic phrase that this is all about. Here's what he says in his letter to Romans. He says, therefore, and this is very interesting. Therefore, since we, now I gotta talk about we. We isn't we, we, okay? This is a different we. We is a bunch of first century Christians living in Rome that Paul doesn't even know. Paul is writing a letter to some Christians, a few he knows, most of them he does not know. And he says, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about us. To which we'd raise our hand and say, I don't know if you should say this about me. You've never met me. I'm not that good of a person. I'm not that good of a husband. I still have problems with honesty and I have a couple of habits I'm trying to break. And and Paul would say, no, no, you are part of the we I'm talking about. 
Because this is not about you changing a behavior. This is about being born again into the kingdom of God, not based on any decision you make other than allowing God to rebirth you into his kingdom. You did not behave your way into your original nation of sin. You do not behave your way out into the new kingdom of God. This is not about your behavior. This is so powerful. Therefore, since we have been justified, which means declared just, you're just. I'm like, no, I don't act just. That's okay, you don't act just. I'm declaring you just. You're now just, according to God's declaration. For we have been justified through faith. And therefore, since we have been justified through faith, here it is, we have, let's read it out loud together. We have peace with God. One more time, peace with God. Oh, how did I get peace with God? Because God has declared you just because you have, as he finishes up, peace with God through our really good works. Because we tried harder. Because we made a promise. Because we kept our... He said, no, that's, that's, that's why I can write this to strangers. That's why we are part of we. This is we, we now. He says... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, again, Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. And this is, this is so powerful. Paul says the, the first step to peace with God has nothing to do with your behavior. The first step to peace with God is being reborn into a new nation, getting a new passport, become, becoming part of a new kingdom, leaving the kingdom of darkness and leaving the kingdom of sin and being, and being accepted into the kingdom of, your beloved, of, of God's beloved son. So we can summarize all that by this simple statement, that peace with God begins with faith in Christ. This is where it begins. Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. Peace with God does not begin with you doing something to make yourself better. Because even if you learn to speak French and you were born in the United States of America, you're still a US citizen. And acting righteous doesn't make you righteous until your heavenly father has accepted you into the nation, into the kingdom of righteousness. And we get there by placing our faith or our confidence in what God has done for us through Christ, his son. So peace with God, it begins with faith in Christ. Now that was just part of the conflict. Remember at the beginning, we said we have a conflict at two levels. There's sin, we were born in the wrong nation. And then there's your sin, your sin, your specific behavior. Now, the best way to understand our conflict with God here is to think about your family that you grew up in. As a child, at some point along the way, you were not at peace with your parents. Do you remember that? Maybe just only a couple of times, but surely you can think back to a couple of times you're thinking, actually, I rarely had peace with my parents. That's right. From about 12 to 15, there wasn't very much peace perhaps. But here's what happened in your family if you grew up with good parents or a good parent or you had a mom and dad or a mom and dad that just really, really loved you. Here's what happened. Your mom or dad would say no to you and make you mad. And you as a child, we all did this, you as a child would think, my problem is my parents. They won't let me do what I want. And of course there's conflict in our home. If my parents would just say yes instead of no, we would have peace. And your parents were thinking, if I say yes instead of no, we will have peace now and you will have problems later. So I gotta decide, am I willing to sacrifice peace now because I love you and I want the best for you or do I want peace now and then say, hey, don't move back in with me when things fall apart, you know, it's not my fault. Now, let me, and if, for those of you who aren't parents, you need to know this. The most difficult thing for me as a father, 
the most difficult thing for me as a father were those times when I had to walk into one of my kids' rooms or have a conversation with one of my kids and I knew that the words that were about to come out of my mouth was going to destroy the peace between me and one of my kids. And I had the power. I could have walked in and said, no, 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 there's no curfew. You just come in whenever. I could have walked in and those are good people. I mean, they're not good people, but if they're your people, they're your people. Your friends are my friends. In fact, have them over and yes, I'll leave. You can have the house to yourself. Just call me. No, you don't need to clean up. I don't clean up anything. Yeah, well, that would call. I, don't want, I want peace, okay? Every parent knows the tension of, do I do what's best for them or do I do what's best for me? You have a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father. And just as, just as when you were growing up, here's what your parents did. Their love was too strong to simply go along. That's what great parents do. Their love was too strong to simply go along. Guess what? God's love, God's love for you is too strong to simply go along. Just like a good parent, their love's too strong to go along. God's love is too strong to go along. And every once in a while, he dings your conscience. And every once in a while, he surfaces the tension between your happiness and your disobedience. And he connects those dots. And he says, the reason you're unhappy is because you're disobedient. And you want to have peace with God. And you want everything to be fine with God. And yet your conscience is bothering you. And it's like, it's like you know, you, you, suddenly you just know there's tension. And the reason there's tension is because God loves you. And he loves you too much to say yes to something that's going to hurt you. Because he's a good father. In fact, Jesus said, Jesus, this is so powerful. Jesus said, the best way to view God, the best way to think about God is to think about God as a perfect heavenly father. Now, we all know God is not a man. We know, you know, all, you know, all the male stuff and it gets all crazy and we know, wait a minute, if there's really God, he's holy other. And I get all that. Here's what Jesus said. This is why you should read what Jesus said. Jesus communicated this. Look, Look, you human beings, you know, whose lives are bookended with life and death, birth and death. The best way, as close as you're ever going to get, as close as you're ever going to get to understanding God, who is completely other and is almost completely ununderstandable. God has, God has accommodated, God has accommodated to our capacity. That's what God has to do. Just like, you know, parents have to do to their children. If a child says, where do babies come from? The answer depends on the age of the child, right? And good parents don't lie. But you answer that question different ways depending on the age and the maturity of the child. Imagine God who created over 600 different kind of beetles trying to explain himself to us. Jesus said, this is as good as it gets. Just view God as a perfect heavenly father with all the things you would expect from a perfect heavenly father who occasionally says, no, and you can't change my mind. Because I love you too much to say yes to something that's gonna hurt you. And I realize you're gonna turn your back on me and cross your arms and you're gonna wreck our peace. But like a good heavenly father, I will not turn my back on you and I will not cross my arms because the moment you turn back in my direction, we'll have peace because I want peace with you. Think of the price I have paid in order to pave the way for peace with you. I sent my son to die for your sins before you were born. And I allowed you to receive my son as your savior, knowing you would continue to act like you were from the kingdom of darkness. And I will not throw you out because good fathers never throw their kids out. They never disinherit their kids. That's how we're to view God. Now, John, this is so cool. And don't think the Bible says we're not, we're not there. John, think of this. 
who spent all Jesus' ministry time with Jesus. John, who knew Jesus, camped out with him. All the stuff that we don't even know about, he knew all that. All the questions we want to ask in heaven, John already knows, okay? John, who knew Jesus, he lived to be an old man. He's an old man now, and he's writing about, you know, what Jesus taught, and he's kind of giving his spin on what Jesus meant because now Jesus is in heaven. And John, the apostle John, writes the following about this whole issue of us not having peace with God now that we're in the kingdom of light. He addresses what it means for a Christian to be out of sync with their heavenly father. Here's what he wrote. This is so powerful. He says, if we claim to have fellowship, and we don't use that word much anymore, but it really means peace, that we're in sync, we're having fellowship, we're friends, everything's cool. If we claim to have fellowship with him, God, and yet walk in the darkness, that is act like we're living in the kingdom of darkness, continuing to do whatever we want and forget what God wants, we lie. He says, you're a liar. And we're saying, John, that's harsh. To which John would say, I'm an old man. I don't have much time, okay? I just gotta get right to the point. You're lying. If you, if you pretend that you and God are cool, but you know you're living in disobedience to God, you're a liar. You lie to yourself. You lie to the people around you, and you're gonna pay. And God wants you to have peace with him. God wants you to have fellowship with him, but you can't have peace with God. You can't have fellowship with God and ignore what God says. It's like turning your back on God and crossing your arms and wrecking the peace with a heavenly father who loves you the way he does. He finishes up. He says, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out. That's apply, practice, obey. And do not practice, do not live out, do not obey the truth. John says, look, don't kid yourself. You know the songs, you know, you show up every once in a while in church, you you give money, you you know, you, you do a lot of good things. Look up here. But if there is, if you know in your heart, if you know in your heart, God wants A and I'm just not gonna do A. If you know in your heart, God wants B and you're like, I just don't, I don't have time for that. If you know in your heart that, you're, that there's tension between you and your heavenly father, John says, come on, I, I, I walked and talked with Jesus. Don't kid yourself. You're not in fellowship with God. There's not peace with God. And the problem isn't God. Your, your God is a heavenly father who's saying, come on, come on. I want there to be peace, but I love you too much to say, yeah, whatever. My love is too strong to let you simply go along your own way. And then John, because John knows we will play games. John, again, he's, he's an old man now and he's just, he just goes for it. He, he says this, this is great. He says, whoever, same John, same letter, first, first John, whoever claims to love God, now this, is, this is hard. Whoever lo- claims to love God, you know, me and God are good, I have peace with God. Yet hates a brother or sister, here it is again, is a liar. It's like, mm, why do you have to use that word? John says, because you are. You, you do not have peace with God if you're out of sorts with someone you can be in sorts with. You, you cannot have peace with God who has forgiven you if you refuse to forgive. You, you cannot be at peace with God, God if you've got your back turned to someone and you need to turn around and work this thing out just like God has turned around and opened his arm to work things out with you. You can't hate your brother and sister and say you and God are fine. There's no peace there. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot, that's strong, isn't it? Cannot love God who they have not seen. In other words, you, you can't hurt or hate others and have peace with God. And you can't hate and hurt others and have peace with others. 
And you can't hate and hurt others and have peace with others and have peace with yourself. You can't hate and hurt others and have peace. You can't hate and hurt others and have peace with God, yourself, or others. You can't hate and be happy. So John says, come on, come on. So to sum all this up, peace with God. Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is simply this. It's, I need something to place my weight on. I need something to place my trust in in order to get me into the kingdom of heaven. And God says, I want you to place all your weight or all your trust on what Christ has done for you in order to gain you access into the kingdom of heaven. This is how you are born again. And in a few minutes, I'm gonna give some of you an opportunity to do that. If there's never been a time in your life when you have done that exchange, done that, that interaction with your heavenly father to say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I realize I was born into the kingdom of sin and I wanna be born again into the kingdom of your beloved son. We're just gonna give you a chance to just pray in just a few minutes and place your faith in Christ. But most of us have already done that, haven't we? I did that as a child. It's one of my most precious memories. Most of us have already done that at a camp or at church at some place. In fact, if you grew up in the kind of church I did, you probably did it 20 times just to make sure because the preacher would come along and say, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure? And you go, it's like, he a pirate or the preacher? You know, I don't know. Well, I don't know. You know, and then at the end, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. Of course, we're all looking around, you know, and then, and, and, and you meant it and you prayed, Lord, just in case, just in case, every camp, every stick in the fire. I mean, you've prayed, you, I want to be in, I want to be in. And your heavenly father's going, okay, you're in, you're my child. That's not the problem. I mean, your faith is fine. It's your obedience. It's wreaking havoc with your own future, your own happiness. And I want us to be at peace and peace with God. Peace with God is sustained by submission to Christ. To waking up every day and saying, yes. Now, what was the question? To waking up every day and saying, God, that's gonna cost me, but if that's what you want, that's what I'm gonna do. God, people are not gonna understand, but if that's what you want, that's what I'm gonna do. God, that's expensive, but if that's what you want, I mean, who am I? Who am I to wreck the peace that I have been offered with God who has invited me to call him? Father. So here's the question. Two questions. Have you made peace with God? And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, are you at peace with God? Have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Um, about 18 years ago, best I can figure it, about 18 years ago, my oldest son, Andrew, was four years old. And one afternoon, um, Sandra and I couldn't find him. We were at home. It's late in the afternoon. We couldn't find him. And that's kind of funny at first, you know? And you have to be a parent who has lost a child to understand this thing. Panic is not the right word. If there's a word that goes beyond panic times 10, that, that's the word. There is a, and it happens slowly, quicker for the woman than the man oftentimes, but slowly there's a sense of it just, you know, you're trying to shove it down and be rational. And, and, it's, and so suddenly we can't find Andrew and we've looked out, we live close to the street. There's woods behind our house or the side of our house and so it's just happening. So Sandra is beside herself and I'm trying to not be beside myself and herself at the same time, you know, and it's just, we can't find him. She said, you call the Bowens, I'm gonna go up through the woods so I can hear her outside. Just At some point, you don't care about making a fool of yourself, right? You're just like, you're just out there. Gotta find my child. Some of you are shaking your head. You know, some of you are like, that's why I never wanna have children. Okay, so <clears throat> some of you were that child. Um, some of you are still that child. <laughs> they don't know where you are. It's like, anyway, okay, back to the story. So you're hiding in the city. So 
so I get on the phone and I call our next door neighbors, the Bowens, and Doris answers. I said, Doris, we can't find Andrew if you see him. She goes, oh, he's over here. I'm like, oh, you know, Sandra, you know. And then I hear Doris say, Andrew, your daddy's looking for you. And I hear this little voice, I'm not looking for him. <laughs> Look up here. When we couldn't find him, we were not mad. When we found out where he was, we were, what was the word? We were relieved. For, for some of you, you, you haven't been looking for God for a long time and he's looking for you. And he has never turned his back. He's, he's never, un, you know, closed his arms and crossed his arms. He, he's like this, like he's been for the whole time. And he wants fellowship with you. He wants you to have a clear conscience. He wants you to deal with guilt and shame and move on. He wants you to be able to come to church and not worry about who you're gonna see. He, he, he wants you to be able to go to bed at night and be able to turn all the music off and all the stuff off and just be at peace with him. So he invites you into that. And the, the, the question is, and, and, and I understand this more than you think I do. Why would we, why would we refuse God's offer of peace? Think about that. What is worth refusing God's offer of peace? Who is so important? I mean, they may not even be in your life in a year or two years or five years. Who would you trade? I mean, why would you trade God's offer of peace for a person or a thing or an opportunity or something you're not even gonna have? I mean, what is worth losing peace with God over? Why would you refuse? How can we refuse God's great offer of peace? So have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? And what's keeping you from making peace with God? today and what could possibly be worth trading off your peace with God, which will ultimately impact your peace with you, which will ultimately impact and is impacting your peace with others. So why not make peace with God? So here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna ask at all of our campuses, for the bands to come on out and screens to go up and center screen at some of our campuses. And I just ask for everybody just to sit tight. It's gonna keep you here a couple minutes because there may be some people around you. This is a moment for them. I know you don't wanna disturb that. And what I wanna do is I wanna ask those of you who have never placed your faith in Christ to begin with, you've never made that initial peace with God. You've never crossed that bridge. You've never said, God, please take me out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. I'm gonna let you just say a prayer. You, you just, the words don't matter. You, you understand enough to do this. So I'm just gonna let you pray and kind of do business with God. For those of you who are believers, you're in the kingdom of, of light, but you're not acting like it. And you know that, and you hated this sermon. You did. It was like, you know, but see, God got you here because God loves you and he wants there to be peace and he wants there to be fellowship and he wants you to be in sync again. And he wants you to have the peace that maybe you've not had for a long time. So we're gonna give you a couple of minutes just to deal with it. You know what it is. Some of you need to commit to doing some things today. Some of you need to commit to writing some letters. Some of you need to, I don't know what you need to do, but you already know. You knew before you walked in here. And so why not? Just think about it. 
What could possibly be worth? What could possibly be worth living another season of your life, missing out on what God has offered through Christ? Peace, peace.